Good day, listeners. Jonathan Darty here with another edition of the Pure Sex Radio program. Today's subject matter is something we really don't like to talk about, but it's extremely necessary for parents considering the sexualized culture we live in. Our topic is protecting your child from predators. Our guest is Dr. Beth Robinson, a licensed professional counselor, professor, and a certified school counselor with over 25 years of experience in caring for traumatized children and educating parents on how to better protect their children from danger. In our discussion, Dr. Beth helps parents deal with their fears around this topic, when and how to talk to their kids about sex and safety, how to choose a babysitter, what to do if parents think their child is a victim of sexual abuse, addressing technology, and more. To learn more about Beth and the resources available to parents who want to better protect their kids, visit kidscallmedoc.com. For more resources, visit bebroken.org or check out the links that we put in today's show notes. And we'd love it if you would rate and review the podcast after listening because this does help other people to find it. Pure Sex Radio is produced by Be Broken and we exist to help men, women, and families move from sexual brokenness to wholeness in Christ and equip others to do the same. Now let's dive into this important conversation about protecting our kids. Well, all right, Beth Robinson, welcome to the program. Thanks, Jonathan. I'm excited to be here and I'm looking forward to a great conversation. Yeah, I know we're going to be talking about some pretty heavy stuff. Uh, We're going to be uh, really talking about a lot of the information that you have in your book entitled Protecting Your Child from Predators, How to Recognize and Respond to Sexual Danger. Uh, But before we get into that, you are um, a licensed professional counselor. You have uh, been a professor of psychology in different capacities at different universities. And um, and you, for over 25 years, you've been helping children uh, that have experienced abuse and trauma. So tell us first, like, how did you get into this field of work and, and how did this become such a passion for you? Well, it wasn't what I set out to do, Jonathan. Um, it was all God-led. Um, when I did my undergrad work, I was actually pre-med, got accepted to med school and got a call from my high school basketball coach who offered me a coaching job and I jumped on that. So I was two weeks from starting med school and decided to coach high school basketball, which has never been lived down in my family. And through the process of a couple of teaching jobs, I ended up at a facility that worked with juvenile delinquent males. And the school principal there asked me if I would go back and get my counseling degree. So when I went to get that counseling degree, I thought I would be a school counselor. And I did an internship with severely traumatized kids and fell in love with it. I knew it was what God had called me to. Yeah, it seems like that would definitely be a calling because of just the nature of the the what you're dealing with. Uh, I mean, that's a very sensitive uh, area to, to work with. And, and as we are trying to have this conversation today to help parents, because parents are having to navigate a very uh, sexualized culture and a culture that is seemingly increasingly dangerous around uh, the issues of sexual brokenness and abuse. So when when you're trying to help a parent think through, okay, this is scary, right? To think of abuse and especially sexual abuse. How does what you, what you provide in your book and how do you try to help parents um, uh, learn what they need to learn in order to prevent sexual abuse? I want to talk to parents so that we're doing preventative work so your kids aren't coming to see me. Mm-hmm. So a lot of what I want to make parents aware of are 
red flags, as well as them being able to interact with their children and equip their children to be able to keep themselves safe. Because kids can tell us what's going on if we're okay with hearing what's going on. That doesn't mean we wait until a kid's abused. It means kids need to be comfortable coming and talking to us as though sexuality was God created, normal, and part of our lives so that the kids feel comfortable talking to us about it. So I I hear that the stories in the book can be scary, so they get your attention. But the major point of getting your attention then is the bulk of the material in every chapter that goes on to say, here are the steps you can take. Here's what you can teach your child. Here's what you can look for. And so what I'm trying to do is make parents aware and give them a game plan. Yeah, no, I think a lot of parents, when they hear this idea of, of just sex, sexuality, abuse, these kind of things, I think a lot of times the mind immediately goes to, okay, what do I do with my teenager that may be struggling with pornography or whatever? But really, at, at what age should parents begin to start to help their kids think through some of these issues? Well, it's going to be easier for parents if they start almost from birth forward and they don't realize it. Okay. Mm -hmm. From birth forward, we're teaching kids safety about who can change their diaper, changing a diaper, touching private parts when they're reaching for their private parts in the diaper and all those kinds of things. And by the time they're four or five, kids really should understand that it's not okay for somebody else to touch their private parts that's uh, without parents being present, like a doctor being there or something. And so by age four or five, kids need to have enough sexual knowledge to be able to keep themselves safe. Mm-hmm. Now, I can imagine some parents right now that are saying, oh my goodness, my kid's eight. Like, <laughs> is, it, is it too late? <laughs> like, uh, how, what would you say just briefly to the parents that say, I feel like I'm past that point. I mean, and we've never had a conversation at all. What, how can you begin at any point along the journey with your kids? Well, I, th- I think that's just you being able to um, engage in what I call teachable moments. There are lots of things that your kids come in contact with every day that can be teachable moments about what does God teach about sexuality? What does God teach about this? And those open up the conversations. So I, I don't think it's ever too late. Um, I worked with a church. Oh, my goodness. It's probably been 25 years ago now, close to that where they were having a small group meetings and one child in the group who was a little bit older than the other kids had sexually abused kids from 10 families during small Mm. group meetings. And I met with those, the, the elders of that church brought me in and I met with those parents and met with the leadership in the church. And we worked through some things, did some counseling and, went back after three months and went back after six months. And I said, what, what could we have done that would have been helpful? What, what would you like to come out of this going forward that would benefit others? And they said, we didn't have a way to talk to our kids about this, which mm-hmm. prompted me all those years ago to write. It's a very simple coloring book called God made me the safe touch coloring book. And it opens up conversations for those younger kids, four to six, four to eight. And it's pretty easy to do the conversation because it's written out for you in a coloring book. You're just reading a book and coloring it as you go. Mm -hmm. Now, you mentioned a minute ago about just kind of the everyday 
teachable moments that you can have. Can you think of any examples that you could share for parents to just think of, well, what does that look like? What are just these sort of everyday teachable moments that I can have and have being able to have conversations about sex and sexuality and healthy touch and those kind of things? Well, I think those teachable moments are all around us. I mean, if, if I, I did not watch the halftime show, uh, uh, the Super Bowl this year, but my understanding was that there probably were teachable moments in that about, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, you know, appropriate ways to present yourself, present your body and what kind of thoughts that these kinds of behaviors bring up. So there you go. That's one for your teenagers right off. Um, also teachable moments. I mean, if your kids are going to school with other children, they're all, or even Sunday school with other children, they may be hearing sexual terms used as young as first, second, third grade. My kids were, like I said, 20, 15, 20 years ago, my kids were in schools and Sunday school where kids would use terms because their parents allowed them to watch media that I didn't allow my kids to watch. And as mm. a result, the kids would use those terms. And instead of just getting, you know, I would say that's not, an, not a term we use in this family. We don't use those words. Uh, let's talk about what those words mean and why we don't use them. So instead of just shutting down the language, we need to go back and teach the what terms mean. And some of those terms are, are uh, profane words that we don't want used. But we need to explain mm-hmm. to the kids what that term means and how the way it is used degrades what God created sexuality to be. Yeah. Now, what we've been talking about to this point is a lot about just the parents directly interacting with their child, right? But I, I want to ask you another question about, okay, when, when parents have young children and let's say, hey, mom and dad want to go out on a date, and so they need a babysitter. I mean, what are some things that, um, what are some common things that parents maybe overlook, overlook whenever they're actually choosing a babysitter that might be a red flag? I, I hope parents are very thoughtful about choosing a babysitter. It doesn't cost you very much money to run a background check on somebody who's going to be a babysitter with your children. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you want to check references of non-relatives with somebody who's going to babysit your kids. Um, I am a huge believer in the term trust, but verify. I think Reagan used it politically. I use it for parents. I mm-hmm. believe all parents should trust, but verify. So I think you need nanny cams in the house. I mean, you need to be able to check what's happening in your house and when it's happening. So I I believe all those things should be in place for babysitters. And I really would prefer a babysitter came to my house instead of taking my children to someone else's house, because while I may trust the babysitter in that house, I may not know who else is having contact with my child in that house. Mm. And we have Mm -hmm. to think about, you know, that, that we may trust one person, but do we trust everybody else? And the book actually has a whole application process in it and ways to screen babysitters because we need to do that. I think even with daycares, you know, I, if, mm-hmm. if my child is going to a daycare or a school, I want to know that there are cameras in place that I can have access to if something happens. And with young children, I want to know that I can check a camera at any point in time in the day to check what's happening to my child. And mm-hmm. I, I think we want to pay a lot of attention to um, if kids all of a sudden don't want to go someplace they've always been okay with. And they can't really explain a reason. They become very clingy. They're very opposed to it. We need to pay attention to that kind of behavior because they may not be feeling safe there. And it's interesting. We we often ask kids, were you good today when we picked them up? 
You know, and instead of asking kids, were you good today? A much better question to assess what's happening in your child's life would be, can you tell me what you did today? What did you Mm -hmm. like? What did you not like? Because if the kid gets the message that they're supposed to be good, they may believe adults who tell them not to tell if something unsafe is happening. So Mm -hmm. I don't want the emphasis to be on, were you good? I want it to be on what were positive things that happened today? What did you not like? I want to hear about the activities that are going on. Mm Mm-hmm. So how should parents respond if they think maybe their child has been abused in some way? You know, you you need to seek out professionals. You need to stay calm, (laughs) calm about it, not talk to your child about it a whole lot. Because as, as amateurs, when we ask kids a lot of pointed questions about something, if they're old enough to talk, we may distort the accuracy of what they can tell a professional. So I always say, if you think something has happened to your child, you give them a hug, you say, thank you so much for telling me. And then you get a hold of professionals, whether that is the police, I would go police department first, reach out to the police department, make a, a referral, and they will generally put you in touch with individuals who are trained to interview your child to see if they're safe or not safe. Hmm. Yeah, that's so hard to do. You know, I mean, it's, it's incredible advice, but, uh, you know, I can imagine as a parent, just all the emotions that come up with that. And then it seems to me like it's not merely the, the child that is going to need professional help. The parents, too, are probably going to need some professional help as well, right? Yes. Whenever I, I've had several instances in my career where uh, older kids told me about being abused and their parents were not aware of it. It had mm. occurred um, with family friends, with trusted coaches and teachers. And I, in all those cases, the, the child opted to tell their parents with me present. And I would bring the parents in first and I would say, this is going to be really hard to hear what your child's going to tell you. I'm not going to tell you what they're going to say, but you need to tell them that you love them and that you're going to keep them safe. And then I said, and then we're going to work through your emotions and your experiences because your kid in some ways is way down the road from you because they've already had to deal with this for a period of time. And they're experiencing relief when now you're experiencing trauma from hearing it. Mm. So we definitely, parents definitely need to be talking to adults about it though, not in front of their children and not with their children. Yeah. So as, as kids get a little bit older, let's say they get past the age of five, I mean, how do, do conversations about sex change? I mean, how, does, how do the conversations change maybe as kids go through various stages of development? They, they absolutely how should the conversations change? change? They absolutely change because what should be happening kind of in the elementary years is you should be having conversations about healthy and unhealthy relationships and sexuality is part of that. So while parents don't realize they're doing sex education when they're teaching their kids about how to be good friends, how to share, how to take turns, how to listen to somebody else, all of those things actually are teaching them relationship skills, which also provides an avenue to talk about sexuality because sexuality is for adults and it's between a man and a woman who are married. So this helps kids 
have context of understanding healthy relationship. The other thing is, if kids have pretty good social skills and relationship development skills, friendship development skills, they're much less likely to be targeted. Um, Hmm. Predators tend to target kids that um, are are more on the fringes emotionally in some way. So it's easier to target a child that can kind of be pulled away from the herd than it is to target a child who is a big part of a friendship group. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As soon as you said that, I mean, when you, then when you went to the herd example, I thought, yeah, that's exactly what you see on like the old national geographic wildlife, you know, films is like the lions are always going to go for whatever the weakest, the one that's kind of isolated and out on their own. <clears throat> that's the one that's the easy prey. Um, <clears throat> can you talk a little bit about that in terms of, what are some of the things that parents can do just in trying to establish a safe rhythm with their kids' schedule to be able to try to say, how do we protect our kids based on where knowing where they are, you know, giving them tools for when they're, you know, getting picked up at the bus or when they're, you know, at a at an away game at a, you know, sporting event or whatever, just those kind of things. What are some things that you try to help parents think through about just the normal rhythms and routines of their kids going through their daily lives? Okay, hold on. We're, we're going to go a long way here. The first okay. thing I'm going to say is take the technology out of their hands. Mm. You do not know what all you are inviting into your child's life through technology. But in addition to that, there's some research that Bruce Perry quotes where he says that the average 18-year-old today has as many social interactions as previous generations had by age six. That impacts the social and emotional development of your child and that part of their brain. So they need to put down the technology and you need to be interacting with them. And they need to be at gatherings where people interact together instead of gaming. So it's not just the lack of safety of using the technology. It's that they're not getting social and emotional skills. And then I'm going Mm. to say to parents, Again, I believe very firmly in what I, you know, the trust and verify and intrusive parenting. Okay, so I I am going to teach kids that it's okay to say no. I I get on to parents when they, you know, when you go see relatives and the kid, they're strangers to, to the kid and you say, go give Aunt Sally a hug. Well, they don't know Aunt Sally. What are we teaching them? We, we should not be having our kids. <laughs> show affection towards strangers, even in that way. Mm. So, so I tell parents that, and your kids want to be aware that people shouldn't be getting in their space, shouldn't be trying to spend exclusive time with them if they're older than them or adults. You know, the, the biggest indicator that your child's in a shaky position is there's an adult who's wanting to spend ex- exclusive alone time with them. And then mm. I, I am going to come back to the intrusive parenting. There's nothing wrong with being the parent who, when your child is at a friend's house, you show up and make sure they're there. There's nothing wrong with being that parent. You know, generations ago, all parents did that because we didn't have cell phones and didn't think we could track our kids that way. It's okay to do that. You know, and if your kid's in an away ball game, try to make them, make some of those away ball games. Make, make your presence random enough that if an adult is trying to target your child, they don't know when you're going to show up. The Mm -hmm. flip side of that is it also helps your child follow rules better because 
they don't know when you're going to show up. Right. So I, I always think that's a great parenting strategy that we don't talk about enough. Yeah. Now, as, as parents start to get more, uh, more comfortable and confident with having conversations around sexuality with their kids, what do these conversations do actually for also helping uh, a, a child grow in their faith in Christ? What does this have to do with their connection to God? And how can these conversations really enrich that? There's, there's a lot of material in the Bible that is about how God created us. So, for example, I love talking about Genesis 1 and 2, where it says we're creating God's image. And with high school kids, it's a great conversation to say, okay, the Bible says we're created in God's image. And we're sexual beings. He created us to be sexual beings. The Bible says go and procreate. So he apparently knew what sex was. I mean, and the kids will laugh, you know, oh, yeah, God does know about sex. And then the really interesting thing to say to them is, is God a sexual being? And you'll be surprised at what profound spiritual conversations come out of that one question. And where we get back to is God created us because he wanted to have a relationship with us. And sexuality creates intimacy. So from the perspective of the intimacy created about sexuality, God had to understand that. So while he doesn't have physical presence, he understands intimacy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so good. And um, what are, what then are some of the, uh, maybe some of the common mistakes that parents make when it comes to trying to teach their kids about safety? Um, You know, because, and, and what would you say also to the reality that all of us as parents are going to make mistakes? Can you give some hope also for the fact that this is a stumbling journey in many ways? None of us are going to get it right 100% of the time. I, I'm going to say um, nobody gets it right 100% of the time. I don't think even outstanding parents probably get it right 80% of the time. Okay? 80% mm-hmm. is probably batting really, really well as a parent. If kids know you're willing to engage in the conversations with them, the the mistakes you make along the way when you ask for forgiveness from your kids just strengthen your bond with those kids. So it, it's about demonstrating even in our parenting strategies when we make a mistake that we say to our kids, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have handled it that way or I thought this was the best thing to do and it clearly turned out it wasn't. That demonstrates a lot to our kids about relationships and how to build healthy relationships. You know, the the biggest mistakes I think parents make about sexuality and sexual safety are, first, way too quiet about it. You know, Mm -hmm. they they think that maybe if we have one conversation about it, we've covered it. So if I read the coloring book to them one time, then my kids will understand completely sexual safety when they're five years old, and I don't have to do anything else again. We, We live in a culture where our kids are inundated with sexual images, sexual content that in some ways as adults, we may not even notice because we have become so used to it. It just doesn't, we don't notice it. So we have to have very regular conversations about these issues like we do everything else in life. So I would say Mm -hmm. that's the biggest mistake is not saying anything. I would say the second biggest mistake would be 
Um, you're so uncomfortable with it that what your kids learn from you is whatever this sex thing is. My parents clearly don't understand it because they're very uncomfortable with it. And everybody else in the culture is cool with it. So if I can't talk about it, then um, th- that's an issue. And sometimes getting very upset, you know, when, when kids are four years old and they discover and, and it's a developmentally appropriate behavior. I'm not saying it's right, but most kids mm-hmm. between four and five years of age discover that boys are different than girls. And they may say, I'll show you mine if you show me yours. And for parents, you don't go ballistic about that. You just say, you know, that's not okay. Private parts are private. We don't show them to other people. And you give a consequence like you would for any other behavior. And then if it happens again, another consequence, if it persists more than that, then I'm going to say, come talk to a counselor. But it's a pretty age typical behavior. We don't want to normalize it, let them do it. But we also just want to be calm and handle it like we would other behaviors. Because when you lose it and you go ballistic, your kids read your emotions more than they read anything else. Yeah, you know, you said something very, very quickly earlier about just being able to admit your mistakes and then, you know, uh, you know, be able to be open about that. That made me think how how important is a parent being able to even seek forgiveness from their kids when they have blown it with them? How, how important is that in terms of really building the kind of safety for their children to feel like they could talk to them about anything? Can you talk a little bit about just the need for forgiveness in our relationships with our kids? Um. I, I could spend two hours on this probably because, you know, what, what we realize if we're in healthy, safe relationships are, as adults ourselves is we learn along the way that sometimes we do things that hurt another person that we never intended to be hurtful at all. That was not our intent. We didn't realize it was going to happen. And if we're going to maintain that relationship with a friend, a spouse, a colleague, we go and apologize because when we're, when we're doing that, we're admitting we were wrong and we're giving the other person the opportunity to forgive us and to heal. Kids and parents need that same opportunity. I had a wonderful conversation with a colleague this last week where she said, I really work and and her kids are very young. Her oldest is 11. Her youngest is three. And she says, I work very hard that when I am not regulating my emotions well, or I'm interacting with my kids in a way that's not how I should be. She said, I have always apologized. Mm. She said, up until this point, one of my kids has never apologized to me. And she said, tonight, my 11 year old was emotionally dysregulated and very upset about a decision that had been made. And he came back three hours later and he said, I'm sorry, mom. I shouldn't have said what I said to you. And that just gives me cold chills to think about that because that's mm-hmm. part of safety in relationships is being able to ask for forgiveness and being able to give forgiveness. And, and our kids yeah. mess up lots of times and, and lots of times parents will have kids apologize, but when they apologize, we need to accept the apology and let them know that the relationship has been healed when they're younger. Mm-hmm. That's so good. You know, I want to ask uh, another question that I think will hopefully be really helpful and, and hopeful for parents out there before we 
kind of wrap up uh, our time here. You know, you've you've worked with many, many children and families over the years. And can you tell us about, I'm thinking especially about the parents out there that let's say they discover something, they discover there's been abuse or they discover that there has been something that, that their child kept as a secret or some kind of pain that happened in their, their child related to their sexuality. Um, what are some of the most r- redemptive stories that you have been able to recall in all of your counseling over the years? And, and what kind of hope would you give to those parents that just are feeling the, the hyperventilation panic of, my goodness, I cannot believe this happened to my child. I was totally unaware. And the, sometimes even the shame that they want to bring on themselves. And, and what would you say to those parents? And maybe what are some stories that you have experienced of hope? I would say to those parents, first of all, you're not perfect. There may have been no way for you to have caught it at all or noticed it. And the second thing I would say is kids are remarkably resilient and heal. Most, I'll be honest, I also work with individuals coming out of sex trafficking. And I can tell you that even individuals who have experienced that level of sexual brokenness are able to rebuild boundaries and are able to heal. Mm-hmm. So, and, and in fact, I, I don't want to share just one story. I share this with the students I teach in counseling. I want parents to understand that they can heal, their child can heal, and their relationship with their child can heal. God mm-hmm. can heal all of that. It takes time. It takes commitment, it takes work and a willingness to own your own emotions and your own actions and whatever has happened, not happened. But uh, kids, uh, there's a book written a long time ago called um, Stronger in the Broken Places. Mm. And even with sexual trauma to kids at a young age, kids can heal and be stronger at the broken places. This is not a permanent brokenness. It is an opportunity for God to work in their lives and heal them. Not an opportunity we would ask for, but the healing rates and the recovery rates are so high. But you have to be in it long enough and be patient enough to see it. So oftentimes parents want to bring a kid in and, and they want to think everything's okay in three months. Well, it may be three or five years. And that may not be that they're in counseling the whole time, but there are going to be things that happen in their lives. They're going to contribute to this healing. So, so some of the um, really challenging kids I saw as teenagers who were abused by family, friends, things like that. Um, I, I still hear from them. I get messages on Facebook. I get to see the pictures of their spouses and their children. And they tell me no, no sexual issues. Everything's great. And so I would tell parents they can heal. Mm-hmm. That's so good. Well, Beth, we really appreciate you being with us. Where can our listeners and viewers go to learn more about you and your resources and, and your book, especially? Well, my book, Protecting Your Child from Predators, is available on Amazon. And so is God Made Me, the Safe Touch Coloring Book. And I have a website uh, that's under some renovation right now called kidscallmedoc.com. Yeah, we'll we'll make sure to link to all of that in our show notes. But 
thank you for being <clears throat> faithful and passionate in this work that you've been doing for so long. Um, and we really appreciate you being here with us today. Thank you so much, Jonathan. I appreciate having the chance to visit with you. Yeah. And listeners, we're always glad that you're with us. We always want to help you take your next best step on your journey of transformation. So however we can help you to do that, uh, please reach out to us because that's what we're here for. And we look forward to seeing you back here again next time on the Pure Sex Radio program. Take care. Pure Sex Radio is paid for by Be Broken Ministries. Visit us online at puresexradio.com.